Welcome to the Not For Profit Podcast. My name is Matt Williams. Today we're joined by a special guest from overseas, actually all the way from Thailand. We're joined by Ricky Murphy from Project Justice International. Today, Ricky and I talk about a couple of things that PJI has done and are doing to be able to be effective on the ground. Project Justice International, they actually are a preventative and rescue of child trafficking in Thailand, in the northern regions of Thailand, in Chiang Rai and surrounding areas. We cover off a couple of things today. Ricky goes into a little bit of depth about effectiveness and how they actually measure that effectiveness. It's very insight, good insight into how effective an organization can be and how they measure that effectiveness. So, and we actually talk about the effectiveness and how they measure that and how they measure on different levels as well. So really good insight into how you can actually measure effectiveness and be effective in the area. We then have a chat to Ricky about the collaboration between their entity and other organizations. They talk to other NFPs in the area. NFPs over there, sometimes known as NGOs, so uh, non-government organizations. So NGOs and NFPs are very interchangeable in this interview. But Ricky comes in to talk about how different NGOs and NFPs can be effective and collaborate together to ensure that the purpose of the entity moves forward and also collaborating with government agencies so as a rescue ngo they actually work with police and and sometimes international police and other areas of government to ensure that the people are prosecuted so we talk a little bit about that and what and how that relates to their entity and we also go into focusing on one area you will see that through this interview we talked to ricky we talk about a village, a Wingsar village in Northern Thailand and how they focus their attention on just that one village and to ensuring that that focus and that attention into one area has made sure that they are effective. So let's get into the interview. We'll have a chat with Ricky and we'll learn all about these things. The Not For Profit Podcast is brought to you by Platinum Audits for all your auditing needs. If you need any audits done or you need any information, please contact Platinum Audits. Welcome to the Not For Profit Podcast. My name is Matt Williams. Here today with Ricky Murphy from Project Justice International, all the way from Thailand. Hey, go, Ricky. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on, mate. I'm doing very, very well. Very excited to be here. Excellent. That's good, mate. It's good to see you again. We uh, caught up a few weeks ago or a month ago now, and yeah, I'm just excited to get you on the show. Just tell us a little bit about how uh, Project Justice International came about, or I'm going to say PJI now because it's a little bit a tongue twister. So how PJI come about and how you got involved? Yeah, awesome, mate. So uh, basically, it's a very long story, but I'll cut it nice and short for you. Um, my parents actually moved to Thailand years ago. They started doing a lot of humanitarian work, specifically with uh, children in northern Thailand. And uh, I was a teacher in Australia 
I came over to visit them uh, to see the work that they were doing in my school holidays at Easter time and uh, just fell in love with the country, mate, fell in love with the people. And I saw a little bit of a different need from where I was teaching in Australia at that time. And I, I was very inspired to come back over to Thailand and do something. So um, I taught for one more year in Australia and then my wife came over with me as well. We moved to Thailand, started a range of different community projects, and we also, uh, also taught at international schools. Through that, we were able to make good connections with Thai people, develop some great friendships, and I struck up a good friendship with a local leader here in Chiang Rai. Uh, his name's Songkiet. And uh, he's very, very experienced. He worked in the NGO sphere for a very long time. And one day he came to us and said, hey, we have this idea. We really want to create an effective foundation that's going to counter, you know, child trafficking and provide great opportunities for children. Uh, would you like to be involved? So I think he saw... Uh, our lives here, saw that we were very, very passionate, that we loved the children, that we really wanted to help and that we were genuine. So he reached out. We kicked off Project Justice three years ago and uh, been going ever since. It's been phenomenal. That's awesome. Coming into a, a, a foreign country and, and seeing things like that, did you find it a little bit overwhelming to to get involved? Like it must have been a big calling to go, I'm going to a different country, moving there. Is it was there something that you know? Obviously, it was a heartstring pull to to go there and do it. But was it overwhelming to actually get involved on the ground? It was, mate. Hey, so um, particularly at the start, because after that trip, you know, I went back to Australia. I went back into my teaching job, but I was still very passionate about what I ha had seen about these children who weren't going to school, you know, because they couldn't afford uniforms, they didn't have meals, stateless children who had no citizenship, no formal identity, so they weren't eligible to attend any government schools. Like, uh, that really got my attention. And so I went back to Australia, but I didn't want to make any hasty decisions. So I actually taught for another full year. And during that year, um, I saved up money from the teaching job that I was doing with the intention of going back to Thailand. So I knew that I would go back there. I wasn't sure exactly what we would do. We started a fitness center at first where we donated the money away. So we ran it as a business, donated the finance away to uh, different community groups. But I was always very passionate about being on the ground uh, trying to fight child trafficking. And so when this opportunity came up, Somkiet shared some of the stories about the children that he had rescued through other organizations. He shared his heart for prevention work as well as justice work, you know, so actually preventing children from being trafficked through educational scholarships and things like that. And then also working collaboratively with police to not just rescue children, but actually see perpetrators prosecuted as well and go to jail and actually set a, a precedent for that. Yeah, just being involved in that, hearing his stories and then seeing the kids first firsthand, I couldn't say no, mate. I had to be involved. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You just you just want to help where you can. Most, you know, yeah, and that's the thing about not-for-profits. They just want to help where they can. Did uh, seeing that, you know, the the children and and seeing, you know, you mentioned the kids in the village not being able to go to school because they're stateless, they don't have money. What, what was it to? I know a little bit about the background. You've gone from you know having two or three go to school to I think it's now forty one from the yeah. village going to, going to school. How, what's the challenges to overcome that? It, 
obviously there would take a lot of coordination from the perspective of the village to the school with yourselves to get that. What what were the challenges? How did you overcome them? Yeah, absolutely, mate. So like I said, with Project Justice, we are an anti-trafficking organisation. We work with the police. We have aftercare shelters. But a big focus of what we want to do is prevent children from ever being in those situations of trafficking. So we identified that children who, commonly children who are trafficked uh, throughout Southeast Asia, they're uneducated. They've come from poor families, so low socioeconomic families. Their parents are unemployed. And there's a list of factors, you know, that are very common in these villages in the north of Thailand. And so... Uh, some kid and I, we went out and we uh, we went to this village called Weingsa Village. So some kid, our director of Project Justice, wanted to work there because he had actually rescued kids from this village at his previous organisation. We went up there. We saw a lot of these issues that were big factors, that were big risk factors. So a lot of the kids were not going to school. There was a lot of drug abuse, a lot of alcohol abuse from the families. There was no emphasis on education or dreaming big or trying to get better and the biggest thing in this particular village was a lot of the children are stateless so even though they can be born in thailand um, or they're born overseas but they don't have any citizenship of any country so it's very hard for them to enroll in government schools with all of these factors and, and understanding that and having our local leadership who understood the problems, we were able to come up with effective solutions. So what we did is we didn't go to 100 different villages one time. We knuckled down onto Wingsar Village and we said, we're going to sow deeply into this community long term. And so what that looked like, we started with uh, games morning. So on the weekends, we would go up, we would play games, build relationship with the children, and particularly build relationship with the elders in the community and the headmen. And from those just games mornings that we ran, we were able to launch into bigger projects, like a water project. The village had no running water where we were working. So we were able to provide water for all those families, build that trust up, and then from that, we're able to launch into an educational program. So when we first started going to the school, there was only eight children uh, in the entire village community uh, that were going to elementary school. So you'd go up there on a Tuesday morning and everyone's just sitting around in the village. You know, it was crazy. Through our program, we now have 41, as you said, 41 children regularly attending elementary school, which is phenomenal. And we're starting to see a lot of fruit of that. They're progressing through their grades. They're getting better and actually getting educated to have a shot at the future. That's awesome. Did you find that starting with just that one, you know, the games morning and starting to build that trust that was the best way to go? Because I know a lot of it, you know, not-for-profits come in and go, oh, I want to do this and do that and do this. Was it just doing that one step at a time? Did you find that effective? Yeah, absolutely, mate. And that was a, a big component or a big understanding that came from our Thai leadership and from our Thai team. So we have a great Thai team at Project Justice and our director is Thai. And they really understand the complexities of these issues because they're not simple issues to solve. And so um, understanding village communities, understanding the hierarchy in Thailand, they suggested let's do these games activities, let's build relationship, work our way up, but we have to be consistent. That's what they said. We have to be consistent. We can't go to this village one time each year, hand out some rice and think that we're going to be effective with, within the community. So started with the games, then we were able to progress to bigger projects once we had the trust from the community. And then from that trust, 
we actually created a position of authority where we were respected and our team were respected and what we said actually mattered in that community. And that's where we were able to say, hey, your kids need to be in school. Your kids need to be getting an education. You need to be looking after them well. And from that position of respect, the community has responded and it's been phenomenal. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so glad you touched on that about the just building that respect and building that trust. That I think is the hardest thing to do. And I, I, like I said, I've actually been there. I've been to the village. It's a phenomenal place. It's great to see, and it's so opening and walking to to us as missionaries when we were there. It was just uh, just phenomenal. In that spectrum, though, like you're concentrating on one village, is is it obviously the problem's going to be widespread and and whatnot? But is there a the reason for the one village is it like I I know you guys are looking at a generational change like that's what you've always said from the start you you're changing a generation can you do that on a bigger scale and it, obviously the one village takes time and effort so mm-hmm. what how do you go about that how do you you know say no to other villages mm, exactly yeah um, we are definitely looking at generational change but with that. We also recognise, and I recognise, that we're in a great position to impact a lot of people through our connections in Thailand. We have a lot of connections with government agencies and with, um, you know, authorities, with other villages, and we have the, the potential and definitely the heart desire to reach out to a lot of communities. But we had seen in the past that groups who came in and didn't invest deeply and didn't invest long term It might look good for photos, you know, to hand out a couple of little things and get some photos, but there wasn't generational change. There wasn't any impact six months later or nine months later. So while it was difficult um, for myself just to focus on one community on our prevention program, we're able to see the fruit of that now three years later where there's like huge change within the family structure. More parents are even going to work now and supporting their kids through meals and everything. So we are seeing a lot of change, but you do have to be intentional about what you're doing. And for us, that intentionality just meant that we were going to focus on one community and sow in very, very deeply, come up with a good system, come up with a good practice of what actually works. And once we've got that, we're able to replicate that in many other villages, which is definitely our future vision and our heart desire. But we always want to be effective and we want to sow deeply where we're at. No, that's awesome. How do you rate how do you rate effective? Like I a lot of people like, you know, rate happiness, you know, your smile on your face, you're happy. How do you rate as a as an NGO? Just for our listeners out there, an NGO is a non-government organization, just like a not-for-profit here. So just so an NGO where you are and as an NGO, how do you rate your effectiveness and is it something you visit on a regular basis? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Like particularly like my heart definitely is to be incredibly effective in what we are doing. And so I think to to be effective, number one, you have to set a strong foundation. Right, definitely. So, what that entailed was obviously getting registered with uh, the Thailand government as a legally registered foundation and entity that can carry out humanitarian work across Thailand, and um, and then from that, from that registration, from that body, then you're actually able to advance out into other projects and other areas of impact. For us, so particularly for our prevention program, we rate our effectiveness on the days attended 
of the children that are going to school, which we visit every single week. So we revise that every single week. We actually have a young staff member. He is the only person to ever graduate high school from Wingsar Village in the history of Wingsar Village. He now works with us at Project Justice and he lives in Wingsar Village and he actually liaises with us. He gets all the kids onto the bus in the morning. He, he has a checklist every day of the children who are attending, um, children who are coming back, who are doing their homework. And so he's able to report directly to us uh, on, on that as well. So, But I think there's a lot of areas of, of effectiveness, a lot of ways that we can measure effectiveness. Hey, yeah, I mean, obviously we have our policies, we have our, our different programs, our different key indicators and our outcomes a lot of technical terms, but we the best way for us to measure our effectiveness is to be on the ground and to see the impact firsthand and actually make adjustments as we go to really impact these kids' lives. Yeah, that's awesome. And to see that and to see, you know, the that impact in three years to go from, you know, four or five kids or eight kids to 41 kids, that's a phenomenal increase over a very, very short period of time. And if you guys can replicate that, you know, in the future generations of other villages, the impact would just be absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, 100%, mate. And it's, it's powerful because I think we all understand coming, you know, listeners in Australia where we have access to very good educational institutions and systems and we have a lot of opportunities that are presented before us. And that was one of the hardest things for me to understand when I first came to, to Southeast Asia was that there, there, not everybody gets these opportunities you know they're not guaranteed to you just because you're here just because you're born you don't get citizenship you don't get to go to school so we really wanted to work super hard because we know as an educator i know as a teacher how effective education is in transforming people's lives we really wanted to see these young children break through that cycle of poverty and actually live fruitful lives and for generations to come yeah that's amazing the rescue side of things, so that's the prevention side, and that's probably your strongest point, or the strongest point you're doing. From the rescue side and the and the um, prosecution side, how has that how has that changed? Do you look at things a little bit differently? And what was the the one of the struggles you had in the beginning? How did you overcome that? Like seeing kids in those environments, and yeah, we're talking about you know place institutions where you know. You, you wouldn't even talk about it on a podcast like this, but to yeah, we it's it's real. It, it's happening. I, you know, like I said, I, I was there with you. You showed me a couple of these places. We didn't go inside, but you showed me a couple of these places. It's like it's heartbreaking. How do you how do you overcome that? Yeah, absolutely, mate. So with our like I said, prevention is a very key component of what we want to do because as you said when you were there you never want kids to end up in these places in these brothels um, so if we can prevent them from getting there in the first place being coerced being forced into them then um, that's ideal obviously but we won't just write off the ones that are already there and so for us at project justice we place a strong em emphasis on rescue operations now the way that we do that is we work very closely with the police because we just feel for us that that's a very effective model. If we're able to liaise with the police, we help with the investigation process, with the arrest operations, we provide prosecution assistance, but we do all of that in connection with international and local authorities. So when these kids are rescued and when they are taken out of these terrible situations, 
they're not going to end up back there because the perpetrators have been prosecuted. They've been put in jail. And it sends a message as well to other people who are doing this that it's not okay. You know, I think so many people have turned a blind eye to some of these big issues in the world that are happening um, internationally, but also local. And so for us, with our rescue work, we wanted to send a clear message that this is not okay and that we will prosecute you if you are doing that. So that looks uh, like collaborating with a lot of international and local authorities. Uh, we've done cases with local police, with uh, Department of Special Investigation. We've liaised with Australian Federal Police on cases before um, because we really believe that prosecution is very, very important in, in combating and fighting this crime. And that's the thing, like, just to stop the cycle, that's that's the biggest thing, and, and that's with any area like that is you just have to stop that cycle and one of the things i was surprised at and you know i can see you know you showed me where where these things happen but one of the things i was very surprised at they we did a bit of a training video when we were there it's just for the listeners i actually did a mission trips with these guys uh you know a little while ago and just just to see that the how that men uh, in the in the video prevention video that they showed there was a middle-aged man actually got trafficked i i mm. i've got to be honest with you i was shocked H how how does that happen and how do we try how do you how do you avoid that from happening and, and is is pji doing something not doing something but how do you assist that yeah, I think uh, a common misconception, and I know I had that, I had this when I first came to Thailand, was that child trafficking and people trafficking, um, people are locked up in cages at gunpoint, you know, and they're not allowed to move and um, they're slaves. But actually living here and working very deeply in this area, you realise that it's such a complex issue and there are so many different factors that go into a person being the victim of trafficking. So for children, obviously some children are sold, some children um, are forced, some children are taken by force. There are other children who, there's such a strong emphasis to look after your brothers and sisters, to look after your family, that through the environment that, that they've grown up in, they feel like they have to get into that trade, you know, to make ends meet because they haven't gone to school. They're not able to get a job. They're not able to get to university. So what other options do they have? So, and then you look at adults, there's a lot of labor trafficking that can occur, definitely. And so particularly with false jobs, one of the biggest issues that we're finding right now with the surge in social media and technology is that people are advertising false jobs they're pretending to be people on Facebook and on Messenger. They're approaching children. They're approaching men and women saying, hey, we've got a great job for you. It's double what the average salary would be like. You can send money back to your families. It's in a different location. Come and join us. If you're uneducated, if you haven't got a degree, if you haven't had any solid work, that sounds like an interesting opportunity. And people take that when they arrive there they'll be put into a back of a truck commonly their ids are taken their passports are taken any documents any communications they have and they're forced to work out on fisheries or out in an abandoned place and there's no clear escape for them just because you're not in a cage doesn't mean that you don't feel that bondage and so that's what we've really noticed lately particularly with men and women who are trafficked they might not be locked up in a cage at gunpoint but they do not see an escape and so we have to be doing things and have to be implementing programs and actually fighting for them and creating a way for them to escape this.
Does PJI or Project Justice did had they have you guys come up with a tool to be able to do that, or is it are you working with government and you know you, authorities and stuff to do that? Because I'm very interested to see how you guys are approaching that and what tools you're using to to help that. Yeah, so we have in the in the investigation side, we have an investigation team that works deeply on that. They will scour through social media. They will look at. Uh, code words or look at phrases that are commonly used by traffickers, particularly on, say, Facebook groups and things like that. Um, they will identify that. And then from that, we will pass that on to the police or the police will gather intel and then they will pass it on to NGOs that they trust to actually do the investigation work, to do the, you know, assist them with the arrest operation as well. So it's definitely a lot of collaboration. For us as Project Justice, we're a very new foundation. We're three years in now, and so we don't have the, the financial ability at this stage to invest in huge programs that can analyse this data better and actually identify trafficking hotspots and things like that. But through our partnerships with other NGOs and through the authorities, we're able to utilise some of the, the programs that they have to actually be effective in this area. Wow, that's awesome. Mate, we're just about out of time. If somebody wants to reach out, if they want to reach out to you, Project Justice, or want to donate, that sort of thing, what's the best way to get in contact with you guys? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we do a lot of posting on Facebook and on social media. I would love for you guys to connect in that way. So you just type in Project Justice in Facebook and go and like our Facebook page or Project Justice International on Instagram. We do have a website, projectjusticeinternational.org, that you can find a lot of our information as well. But I would really appreciate you guys taking a couple of minutes and checking it out. Hey, because Project Justice, when we started this foundation, we didn't start with big financial backers or anything like that. It was really a heart motive. We were here in Chiang Rai. We felt that we could meet a need and actually help to transform children's lives. So we all partnered together, our incredible team, and we just started. And whatever we've been able to do, you know, whatever finance has come in, whatever support, whatever um, volunteers have, have come on board, we've been able to utilise that to be most effective. But, um, yeah, I'd love for you guys to reach out. Um, if you have any questions at all, feel free to ask me or you can ask Matt and uh, he's a good advocate for us. <laughs> but um, we would love, I would absolutely love for you just to find out a bit more about this information and how you can help because you really can help and that's one of the biggest things I've, I've learned since living in thailand guys is that our actions they really really matter and they can transform lives absolutely and i i am an advocate for these guys i just to be open and honest with all my listeners i actually am investing my, myself time and finances into project justice because i 100 believe in them so i just want to be open and honest about that but guys the smallest donation makes the biggest difference. The bigger donations makes a huge difference. But like, just get in there and 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 have a look at it. Get, connect with Facebook. Connect with Insta. Connect with Twitter. Get on the on the webpage. Have a look at it. But guys, just just get in and see the work they're doing because it does help. But all the information will be on our show notes uh, as well. So don't be afraid to have a look in there. Ricky, I really thank you for your time today, mate. And uh, Good luck with everything, and uh, I would love to catch up with you a bit down the track and see what see what difference is making and go from there. If, you, if you'd love to come back on the show, I'd love to have you back. Awesome, man. I absolutely would. It's been an honour to be able to talk to you, mate. So I appreciate you giving me the time and the platform to share a bit about Project Justice. Oh, no, it's been, it's been my pleasure. 
Anyway, that's it for today, guys, and we'll uh, talk very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.